Hi, I'm John. And I'm Ron, and this is Digital Divination on the No Direction Network. for episode 57 of wow. Digital Divination. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, you know, since we hit 50, it's been going really slow. <laughs> I, think, I thought we should be at 75 already, you know. <laughs> we hit 50 so fast, we expected 100, 200, 300 yeah. to go by in a blink. Yeah, so, uh, oh, well, I, maybe it's just kind of the doldrums of, of summer, too, you know, approaching. Like, spring term for me. Like when I'm finishing up right before summer, it takes mm-hmm. so long, so long to get there because you're just ready to be done with school. So do, do you do you feel like the the students feel the your students feel the same or your your students are part of the reason it feels slow to you? No, no. I know that I know they feel the same because uh, I very often will have shorter classes and or just, oh, we'll do it remote. You know, I, I get a video. I'll go watch that. And, and they're all happy for that. It makes it speed up quite a bit. Uh, in fact, I had to do that this week because I, I had to miss class yesterday for my my bionic eyes. Oh, that's right. Yeah. How, how are you recovering? I mean, you look. I, look you're, the same, you're, right? You're, <laughs> I was, that was about to come out. Are you are you are you looking good, John? But that doesn't that's uh, not what I, you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, so I got the first one Monday and then uh, I was surprised by dinner time. Uh, it was already pretty clear, but it was, I was, had double vision because your eyes get still waking up, you know, after the cataract mm-hmm. surgery. Um, so basically just for our, our, our listeners here, I because of my transplant medications, I had early onset of cataracts and I completely lost sight in, in one eye and the other eye was getting bad. And uh, they went in and cleaned up my good eye, so I couldn't see anything for a while. Um, but by dinner time, I could see stuff. And then yesterday, they did my bad eye, and it's like everything is looking really good now. <laughs> so it's oh great, great. Yeah, they they when I went in yesterday morning, they they did a check on the visual acuity of the eye they worked on, and it went from twenty fifty with my glasses to twenty fifteen with within 24 hours which they said is really fast usually it takes a while to to settle down i said i'm just i'm just good looking because the the curvature of your eye reshapes is that right when you get it because your the cataract getting rid of the cataract changes the curvature of the eye but your eye has to readjust to that if i'm is that right i don't know um so the what, what they do when they take out the cataract there's this little lens that's at the top and the cataract kind of gets in there and they um, use a later laser and just take it all out. Mm-hmm. And then your, your existing lens is gone. So they put a new one. And in my case, I've been wearing contacts or glasses for, you know, like 45 years and they put in a new prescription in both eyes. So now I don't have to have corrective lenses at all. Wow. Wow. Yeah. It's the only good part of being uh, half blind for six months is that now I get really good vision. <laughs> Oh, what about you? Uh, anything exciting happening? Oh, we have, uh, we're going to France. I don't know. Did we mention that in the last, uh, 
I don't think we've told anybody oh, about this. Yeah. I am very excited about going to France. My my father in law sings with a uh, with a choir, and that choir is going to be performing on the beach at Normandy for the anniversary of D Day. And mm. the choir group has like a whole tour package that they did, and they reached out to mm-hmm. him and said, "Hey, if you got you know." you know, family who wants to come along the, here's what we're doing for the tour. And here's the hotels we're staying in and the sites we're seeing on such and such a day. And so we've, we've taken, I'm taking my whole family on a trip to France to go along with, we're not going to follow around the tour group. We're going to be doing, you know, some that we're going to move the same day that they are. Yeah. The Eiffel Tower, I think we're doing the day after they are, we're going to be able to see them perform in Normandy. So It'd be good. My my wife has been to France a couple of times, mm-hmm. and I've I've never been, so it's going to be my yeah. first time to France. It's a, and my kids' first time been. to Europe at all. Yeah. Wow, that's that's exciting. Are they um, are they prepared to go? Your kids? N- no my my oldest <laughs> is my oldest is excited to be like shopping and buying clothes in Paris. The thing yeah. that. I, I hit her with a with the solid dose of reality that really really uh, um, has her questioning whether or not she wants to go mm-hmm. is that she's she's got this guy they've been texting so far or or in snapchatting I, anyway but their <laughs> record is they communicate every day and they've communicated every day for the last something like 130 days or something like that. They've been friends for a long oh, time and yeah. they're keeping track of every single day. And when I told her, Oh, well you, you, you don't get phone service and send texts when you're in Europe. It's on a whole different sort of system. It ends up being a lot more expensive. Um, you know, I don't really want to look into that. I want to be able to leave our phones kind of behind and be able to 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 be tours. She's like, wait, but then it's gonna it's gonna break my streak, and 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 now I don't even want to go. I'm like, well, oh, you wow. think about it. I can understand that initial yeah, reaction. Yeah. Who's your cell phone carrier? Uh, we're on Xfinity. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. So I, I'm not. So I have T-Mobile, and uh, it works like works everywhere for text. Like my kids in Brazil texting me now. You know, oh, that's it's nice. free. Yeah. And when we were in Europe, we just used our, our regular phone. Um, I don't see T, uh, Xfinity is kind of a weird animal because they're they're based around their own networks here right, domestically. They, so they carry Comcast. I mean, I could look into this, but yeah. part of it is an incentive yeah, to you don't want not to. look yeah, into yeah. it. Right. I don't want to be I don't want my kids on their screens all the time. Oh, yeah. And, no. you know, so. Well, for us. I liked having it just for getting around and finding stuff and things like that. That, that's the only thing for me having one when we were there. Being able, oh, to, get being able to look at it, you know, be able to connect with other people in your group, right? Yeah, you know, oh, you know, like text that. somebody. Oh, we're at this place for mm-hmm. pastries. Where are you for pastries? I mean, that's, that's there is more food yeah. in France than that, but we're looking forward to the pastries. <laughs> yes. Well, that's that's exciting. That that's a lot of fun. And you had just come back from a trip from Hawaii, so this is like. You're just really tripping out, man. I know. We're like a whirlwind tour. Well, the Hawaii trip was our 2020 trip that had been delayed right. because of the pandemic. Right. So it seems like we're just going on vacations hither and yon. But in fact, yeah. we were catching up on that vacation. And this is the 2022 vacation. Right, right. No, that my wife wants to do something fun. She said, now that you can see, we should plan some big trip and something to do. What do you want to go see? I said, um... I don't know. I, I'd really like to go see Yosemite. I think that's fun. Oh yeah, yeah. I've uh, we, we took our kids there a long a long time ago, 
and they didn't really care for it that much. We were just right. kind of spend a day there. I'd like to go in and stay at the at the lodge there for like a week and see a lot of the area and take some pictures and stuff. It gets kind of crowded in the busy season. That's the only, the only it does. Issue. It does. You got to yeah. be pay attention when you go we went when i was younger i think we've i think i've been twice and both cases it's been camping when we're there right so right well that's one way you can you can camp or there's not not a lot of places to stay there you know so you have to right. you know kind of be prepared with that so well excellent well that sounds like a lot of fun uh, i you know I, I i mentioned that my daughter was in brazil she just went last week she went uh, flew on friday to saturday got to san paulo saturday late spent sunday and monday in sao paulo and now she's at a at a preserve where she's going to be doing research down there for a month on mm -hmm. trees and stuff <laughs> so well it's fascinating because there's all sorts yeah. of vegetation down yeah. there that we just right. absolutely don't have up here so that'd be that'd be amazing right that'd be okay whatever your specialty is here's a whole part mm -hmm. of the world where that specialty is has so many different examples i don't right. know i feel like that'd be really exciting well, you know, it's she had to do an internship for her master's, and she said, "Well, I want to go do this." And we count as internship. And they said, "Okay." And uh, the funny thing is, right before she left, she officially got accepted into the PhD program there as well. And her PhD advisor said, "Wow, I wish I could go on something like that. That's really cool." <laughs> so, oh, so, and I thought because I heard about both at the same time, I thought that yeah. this trip to Brazil was part of the PhD. Nope. No, this is something independent. She set it up on her own to go do. It's a volunteer trip, basically. She pays her way down there, and they put her up, and she does volunteer research. They bring in folks from all over the world, and they do various research projects. And later on, if she wants to come back as part of a, a sponsored research research project by her school or her advisor, she could do that as well if she wants. But this oh, is something she just wanted to do. You know, that's a really that's a really impressive initiative. Yeah, the funny thing is, so so she speaks Spanish but not Portuguese, which is what okay. they speak down in Brazil. And so she'd been spending a long time, like the last month, figuring out the differences, you know, how, what words were in, in mm -hmm. Portuguese versus Spanish, how you say different combinations are different. And then when she got down there, she said, man, people are speaking so fast. <laughs> you know, they'll, they'll talk to me. And once they realize that I don't know what they're saying, they just kind of give up. Yeah, because she doesn't, I mean, I, she doesn't look out of place. And, and a lot of folks don't speak English, which would be a nice, mm -hmm. uh, you know, third party language. But in the preserve she's at, everybody speaks English. So, but just in town, like she, there's a little town outside where she's at. And she said, you know, there's like two grocery stores and nobody speaks a lick of English there, you know. So um, some Spanish, so, but mostly Portuguese. Mostly Portuguese. Wow. Yeah, I've got a, uh, a brother-in-law who is a uh, professor of Portuguese studies, and he's mm. spending a lot of time in Brazil, spent a lot of time in Portugal. I mean, you know, half the year he's taking his family to, to one or the other. And nice. I, I feel like that's, he's and he's got young kids. I, I assume that they've got a greater ability to get along, even if they don't have any mastery of the language, just because you're right. spending a couple months there, you kind of can't help but learn, all right, well, here's right. how I ask for what I want at the grocery store. And here's how, mm -hmm. well, how I ask for what I want at school and, you know, things like that. So yeah, know, how's your uh, French? How's your French? I was wondering. What's that? How's your French for your trip? Oh, it's terrible. I know. I, the, the, <laughs> I, when, when Stephanie's family spent a lot of time in France, they've been, uh, to France several times. Um, 
she her her family a lot of members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints who have served missions right, in right. France. Her father served a mission in France. Um, uh, Stephanie herself uh, served her mission in Argentina, but she thought that might have been a mistake because she was at the training center with a different Stephanie Thompson, whose family kind of spoke Spanish, but she was going to France. And so oh. <laughs> Stephanie's like, "Wait a minute, we got the we got." <laughs> But anyway, um, but her France is her French is substantially better than mine. I know the word fromage, and that's apparently <laughs> the most important word I need to know among my wife's family when in France. So good, good. Yeah, I had a little bit of French in uh, middle school, and that's like, I I know real basic words. Like if I I could read signs, it's about it. Okay, you know, speaking, I I think that'd be too tough. Well, you know, I was thinking we would talk about something a little different today, different from. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know how it can be any more different than what we just talked about, but it's going to be more different than, than <laughs> what we usually talk about. Um, so recently, uh, Wizards of the Coast announced that they were bringing out Spelljammer for release in August of this year. Mm-hmm. And I thought we could kind of talk about Spelljammer in Starfinder because when Jake Tondro left Paizo, I thought, man, I bet you they're bringing a Starfinder in there for, for doing, you know, some D&D in space. And then sure enough, you know, like three weeks later, they, they announced this uh, spell jammer, but it turns out he didn't work on it, had nothing to do with it. But <laughs> it was already done by the time he got it there. It was already so. done. But I still thought, you know what? I wonder if the success of Starfinder is getting them to think that we need to do, you know, some space stuff. I don't know. Well, but, I mean, that might, that might be so. If, yeah. if anything, the success of some uh, sci-fi properties, especially some science Mm. fantasy sort of properties in the media. Guardians of the Galaxy has been very, very successful. And when I talk to younger people who are playing Starfinder, their inspiration isn't Star Trek and Star Wars like we had. Their inspiration Mm -hmm. are things like Guardians of the Galaxy. So they expect sort of a lot of weird sort of crazy things going on. That is to say, they more easily embrace the fantasy part of science fantasy because they're not grounded in things like Star Trek, which is very hard science fiction, or Star Wars, which is space opera-y, but otherwise doesn't have a lot of fantasy in it apart from the the lore of the Jedi. Um, And so what they're getting is a lot of sort of crazy abilities and colorful, flashy spells and stuff like that. So, So Starfinder gives them exactly what they want in that regard. And Spelljammer has always been that way. It's been a lot more mm-hmm. fantasy in its science fantasy than any kind of science. Yeah, it looks again, you know, from back in the day, I don't I don't think I played much Spelljammer to be honest. But, you know, kind of looking at they had a, a they have a promo video and they're talking about the various products that they have coming out. It really looks like they've taken their their 5e D&D and put a little bit of spin on it. It's in the astral plane, which mm-hmm. I guess is space for them, but it's still using like wooden ships and, you know, a lot of the same kind of stuff that they would typically use, you know, on a, in a Terran environment, but now it's just in space. Yep. That's so. the, uh, that absolutely is the same aesthetic that mm-hmm. Spelljammer used to have. And what they're coming out with in August, as far as I can tell, it's a a box set that has a setting book, a monster book, an adventure, 
a map and a DM screen with it. So it's, it's actually kind of buy this one box and you've got an entire campaign. Mm -hmm. I I Mm -hmm. think that's really smart. I, I know that from a production perspective, boxes, box sets tend to be really difficult and or expensive to do. You've got to be able to sell Mm -hmm. a lot of them to be able to make money on a box set. We can count on wizards of the coast to sell a lot of them. Um, but the idea of being able to put everything you need in one box, you open it up and this is how your friends are going to entertain yourselves for the next several months, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. is, is really appealing. I'm really looking forward to getting this. Um, the, and so they can tell the stories that they, they want to in their adventure. And it sounds like they're using a lot of the same aesthetic. Not only is it mm-hmm. sort of the wooden ships, it's sort of classical sort of fantasy pirates just right. in a different setting complete with they've got the uh the gunpowder loving hippopotamus people right. who have their sort of british stiff upper lip society that they're <laughs> uh, exploring space with i do wonder how some of the things that are in the old spelljammer setting might not fit quite so well with modern sensibilities one of the big enemies in the uh spelljammer setting were a uh, a race of creatures called the neogi they're sort of evil eel people eel spider mm. people um but their primary their primary role in spelljammer is that they are slavers they're they're going around taking slaves and making slaves right. work their ships because they don't right. want to i i they could pretty easily cut neogi out there's still plenty of other mm-hmm. villains they can use mind flayers in space is, is uh is part of the trope of spelljammer as well um but they're i i am interested to see how some of that compares to the older uh, Spelljammer. Now I've got my experience with Spelljammer is solely as a player. I never ran any of it. Um, I had some of the, some of the books only for interesting reading and to make my own characters, but mm-hmm. we were shifting through a lot of different campaign settings at the time. And mm-hmm. I wasn't ever running Spelljammer. I don't think I ever ran Ravenloft. I had other friends that were doing that, that I was playing, but, uh, um, but anyway, I don't, so I don't know all the settings very well. Birthright I ran, the one where you're sort of have the legacy of, of rulers and you're running entire kingdoms. That was kind of cool. Um, but Spelljammer, I only know from the player perspective and I'm interesting, interested to see whether that player perspective is, is kind of the same, whether the feel from the player side is the same in this new box set they're coming out with in a few months. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, it's kind of a smart move with a property, you know, taking something that they had, I think it was second edition where Spelljammer first came out and then basically updating it to fifth edition. It kind of makes me wonder, there's a whole lot of other things that I I know came out around that time. It makes me wonder if maybe they'll do some of that as well. You know, Um, you know, for me, I play Gamma World, uh, Top Secret, uh, Star Frontiers. Was Star Frontiers a TSR property? Uh, Star Frontiers is absolutely TSR. Yeah. Yeah, You know, Uh, and Boot Hill, right? So it seems to me, they wanted to, they could take all of those and update them as well. Maybe this is a kind of a first foray. I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. Well, it's not even, it's not even the first foray because they did so much yeah. in Ravenloft already. Oh yeah. Right, 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 right. And so I think that there's probably some, somewhere, certainly fans and maybe even wizards themselves has a whiteboard with a list of all of their yes. old uh, properties yes. on it. And they're, just, they're marking them off as they do them. They're yeah. like, okay, Ravenloft yeah. check. We've got, uh, you know, Spelljammer check and so they're looking to see what else is up there they're like all right well we've got yeah. you know dark sun and dragon lance and you mm-hmm. know the, oh uh, yeah dragon lance is all the other sure. stuff yeah yeah well you know the thing with ravenloft is they brought out hard covers with that and they really rec- they recruited a pretty big team to work on that so mm-hmm. 
Um, I, I don't know. I don't know who was recruited for for Spelljammer. I haven't heard any any rumbling about that. Do you have a any sense for that? I, I don't. I'd, I'd have yeah. to find out. I know that uh, uh, Strixhaven, their magic school, right. um, uh, Amanda Hammond really worked uh, right. uh, hard on that, and that actually had there wasn't ever an old style Strixhaven. So they're still coming up with new new. I put maybe put new in in quotes for new campaign setting types because I believe Strixhaven was part of the Magic the Gathering universe. Oh, and so they maybe. carried over yeah. some of the cards that were about in this Magic School and and mm-hmm. uh, made it into a Dungeons and Dragons. It, brilliant move. I think that mm-hmm. it's a real good way to capture the very very large set of Magic the Gathering players in order right. to tell them, hey, maybe give Fifth Edition a try. Mm-hmm. Now, kind of to bring this back to Starfinder or Pies at least. Now, so this is an effort for um, basically D and D five E to kind of move into a fantasy space. Now, for Starfinder, it's not super fantasy ish. It's kind of fantasy light. We mm-hmm. had um, you know, Galactic <clears throat> Magic, which brought a lot more magic in and some fantasy stuff. What do you think about Paizo making a bigger push onto the fantasy side? Maybe even, you know, I, I know like Iron Gods was kind of a crossover, uh, kind of a more modern mm-hmm. uh, kind of setting for second uh, for for Pathfinder. I wonder if maybe pushing that a bit to, to to bridge that gap. So some people really like the the super the super uh, science part. I think there's probably a lot of folks that would really like uh, a, a fantasy heavy kind of futuristic environment too oh I, th- I think you're absolutely right i feel like starfinder is a game is very intelligently designed to be very big tent there's a lot of different mm-hmm. types of sci-fi that can fit under there including science fantasy galactic magic is the recent edition that lets you emphasize magic in your game but you remember the dawn of flame adventure path is one of the ones right. that's just most the most overtly magical about it and i mm-hmm. somebody asking me whether or not Oh, Dawn of Flame, that's one where you go into the sun. What about sort of the the crushing pressure and the plasma yeah. that's in the sun? I mean, realistically, it's a very difficult yeah. place to adventure. Like, well, realism is not one of the things Dawn of Flame is, is looking at. They are intentionally yeah. leaning on the very hand-wavy, well-it's-magic sort of right. answer for that. Um, so I feel like a Dawn of Flame, even though it's very specifically located in the sun is a very fantasy themed starfinder adventure path they can do other fantasy themed stories and i feel like that the the starfinder setting has has plenty of room for those sorts of things yeah i don't i I don't know of anything that's been announced like the last the latest uh adventure path i think is the uh drift crashers Mm -hmm. ap which you've You've written the first book of, is that right? Uh, the the third book of. Oh, the third book of, the third book of. Right. And um, if I can, uh, one thing I'm excited to do this afternoon is we have a, when we go through the product pipeline, one of the very last yeah. things we do on the pipeline is the approvals pass. This is looking at mm-hmm. the files that are going to go to the printer. And once they're gone, it is it is going to be printed that way, whether, whether you like it or not. <laughs> um, and even though I have my own products that I am looking at for the final approvals pass, whenever I've got something I've written, I peek into the approvals file to get the very uh, last minute Mm. look at it. And I'm going to get the uh, very last minute peek into the third Drift Crashers adventure, uh, Masters of Time and Space that I wrote in order to see what that looks like. I haven't seen any of the art for it or anything, but uh, 
but I'm excited to sort of, you know, shirk my duties for 15 minutes or so while I'm poking <laughs> around in the, uh, the yeah. approval copy of the adventure that I wrote. Who, who developed that? Uh, that was Jake Tondro. Uh, yeah, so he, he had that yeah. mostly developed in, in its entirety before he left to, mm -hmm. uh, to go over to wizards. And some mm -hmm. of the follow-up on that, as far as making sure that the pages are copy fit correctly, doing the approvals pass, um, has gone to uh, Jason Keeley, the development manager of the Starfinder team. Right. Um, right. And that's because the, the other folks on his team are working on other all kinds of other exciting stuff. Um, the Drift Crashers adventure path, I, I might be tempted to say it's very fantasy in its feel mm -hmm. because you go to hell and you meet a, a, a <laughs> deity in her own domain and you've got to worry about, you know, space pirates and things like, I mean, it's very, it's got, if anything, it might be the most spell jammery of all mm. of the Starfinder APs, but because it's so anchored in the, the drift crisis, which is a very much a Starfinder right. event, um, it, it, it just feels so, it, it really hits that sort of zany Starfinder feel. I think it's the kind of thing that people who like Guardians of the Galaxy will particularly like Drift Crashers because it's so much of, and now you do this thing in this weird location, and then you're off to some other weird location before you can even get your feet underneath you, and, and so on, so mm -hmm. on. Yeah, no, I'm excited. I, I'm actually excited for the Drift Crisis book to finally hit my downloads. I, I know that some folks are already getting it today, and I've been I've been clicking on the Paizo website, which uh, you tell me you are aware that it's that it is not. Oh wait, it just came up. Uh, it was not working before. Uh, I was hoping that uh, I would get my download of it today, so that maybe um, I could actually see <laughs> if see what it is that uh, that you wrote for yeah, uh, if, the Drift Christ book, right? If anything got in there. So <laughs> um, let's see. I'm not seeing. I'm not seeing it in my downloads. Okay. Oh wait. Well, here's oh, the. I got it. I got, got it. it? Oh man, I, I had it last week. Uh, that's what I get for not checking. <laughs> well, I mean, apparently not. If there was some, uh, you know, the website kept you from getting at it. Well, I've been busy with this whole eye thing. And then I actually had three uh, deliverables. So two that were due before this thing came out. And one that was due like right afterwards. It's like, ah. Hmm. So uh, yeah, the most, uh, between the three of them in that two week time, uh, this is just uh, milestones. That's twenty six thousand words. Uh, That's final a deliverables lot. on these. Wait, yeah. your milestone was twenty six. Your whole no, no, it's was... only half. Only half of that. Okay, That's my biggest project. Biggest handling at one time is twenty six thousand. So wow, I know it's not a lot for. No, for that's that's guys. that handling no. a twenty six thousand word project is certainly enough for anybody to be able to trust you with an entire adventure path. Oh, well, this Starfinder, is Starfinder. That's the project. size of it. Yeah. But for Pathfinder, yeah. they're thirty-five, forty thousand words. And that's yeah, yeah no, I, that's what I'm hoping. You know, I I, I told uh, the developer, yeah, I'll I'll take on some extra words here because I'm 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 hoping to get into some bigger things down the road. So, oh, neat. But yeah, no, we got, we'll have to talk about it next time because I haven't looked at it. Uh, I feel really bad because I was trying to get it this morning before this to see. <laughs> trying, so that, oh. trying to get it refreshed. Well, the, yeah. the thing that the thing that we can talk about, I know that it, I mean, it's exciting and I'm excited yeah. to know that so many people are talking about it, but yes. nobody is going to be able to talk about it from your perspective and my perspective of people who wrote stuff for it. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm going to be very interested in paying attention. I have to look to even see what it is, but one of the sections that I really wanted to write, but had already been assigned to you, 
Uh-oh. I will judge whether or not you did that uh, successfully in that uh, in the final oh. product. Now I'm wondering what it is. <laughs> I, I have a sense. I think you told me before. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. And I think I know what you worked on because it's like one of your favorite things to always work on, apparently. Um, all right. Well, I'm, now I'm going to look at it. I'm sorry. That's all right. I've been, I've been, I've been beaten out before the um, Otter people, the Brunary, and I think Alien yes. Archive three yes. i want to say i really wanted to do the otter people but Luis loza got it and he did a fantastic job oh so. yeah i think they're pretty cool i think they are yep. all right well the the one big thing i'm looking at is to see if it showed up is in your name in the credits oh i i don't know i guess i should check if my name is in the credits that would be a that would be a big thing right um oh yeah i remember i got i got contacted by joe um so my my paizo byline is john godick the third just because i thought that would be really cool to have the third on there Mm -hmm. and then the somebody didn't get it in on drift crisis Mm. so yes so that was kind of a that was kind of a bummer so all right now i can't so they have all these uh adventures and uh one of these is one i worked on but i don't I don't remember what the title was. So that's no, not going to be very much good to be able to go through it without remembering yeah. what the title is. Oh, I think this might be it here. Anyway, um, yes. So, you know. Um, yeah, so I'm excited about this. Let's see what's going on with this thing. Um, oh, boy. Excited. You know, what do you do with all your um, authored copies? Um, that's, that's, uh, I give, give them away as gifts a lot of the time. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking too. I, I'm um, starting we, to get those piling up. Well, we ended up with, uh, because the things that Stephanie writes for, she gets contributor <laughs> copies for as well. Yeah. And yeah. so for something like the Mwangi Expanse, where I get a copy as a, a perk of being a Paizo employee is a, is a copy of the products they produce. So I got my, as an employee copy of the One Geek Expanse, I got two copies, two contributor copies for having written for it. And Stephanie got two contributor copies for having written for it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It's the same for the first volume of uh, of Quest for the Frozen Flame. We end up with just a lot, sometimes five copies in our house. Um, so they make gifts to people, right? And I think mm-hmm. that the, mm-hmm. you know, we can be very, uh, sometimes sometimes the gifts go pretty fast. Like I'm, I'm running a Strength of Thousands game and it's right. easy enough to hand out people okay here's here's your reference book for this game this is yours you keep it um i did that for a uh game that i joined where i was playing pathfinder second edition and it was all about kind of uh shopping and i asked the the gm <laughs> like oh do you have a copy of um the uh the lost omens grand bazaar which is really kind of it's the book about shopping in uh uh in pathfinder second edition He's like, no, I don't have that. And then he said something like, I really wish that instead of just a bunch of stuff, it would be like broken up by the different shops and what the different shops would give you. I'm like, oh, that's exactly what this book, here, take this. I've got three copies. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's funny. That's funny. Oh, okay. Well, I'm, I'm looking at stuff. I can't tell. So maybe this particular thing didn't make it in. I, I I will look later offline. Okay, and um, then we can have a talk about it when we uh, when yeah, we next yeah, meet for something time. like this, maybe or. Yeah, I think I had four or five things in this one. I, I, they were all okay. kind of. I had one bigger thing, and the rest were kind of smaller things, you know. So just to, I don't know. It's it's 
it's interesting. I've I've gotten a lot of contracts now from Paizo. I think I've mm-hmm. like, I have like twelve or thirteen that I've gotten between Starfinder oh, wow. and, and Pathfinder. Yeah, but none of them are huge. You know, I mean, some of them are as small as five hundred words, right? Uh, and then the the biggest one uh, by itself is twenty thousand words, and most are between like three and eight thousand. It seems like. Is that one of pretty typical or it it is one of the things that we 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 track and we we don't have a we don't have frankly a very stellar system for this but we know what the problem is mm-hmm. and the problem is there are freelancers tend to come in two types there's the kind of freelancers that will work on a lot of things but don't necessarily do a lot of words for a lot of things mm-hmm. and you know, there might be somebody who's who's written for a dozen different products, but they haven't done more than 2000 words in any specific product. And then there's people who don't write much, but they write big chunks of stuff when they do. Right. Yeah, I've seen that um, a lot of folks. And so those people might have only three or four products to their name, but if they're 20,000 words each, right, then they're, right. they're very robust. So how do you adequately judge a freelancer's experience right you can't you can't mm-hmm. really just count products right. because that really uh, uh sort of shuts out the second group of people you can't count words because that cuts out the first group of people because both of those types of freelancers are very skilled and they're very skilled in their own way they're both very skilled just in different directions mm-hmm. either of them are the kind of people i would trust with a product of any size mm-hmm. um but how do you convey that right other than kind of the individual discussion, right? If I say, well, I worked with this person who's done back matter monsters in, in 14 different adventure paths, they, they, and a back matter article here and there, they're definitely, you know, really solid go-to people for, you know, whatever kind of project you want to do a scenario an AP, something right. like that. Uh, I, apart from me being able to say that personally, to recommend somebody there's not a really good tracking system we have right. we're, I mean, we're trying we're we're trying to keep that as a uh as sort of an an internal goal that we have to be better mm. about tracking this it's a mm. lot of things to pay attention to and i know there's a lot of them that we we're continuing to iterate on and improve on i just saw today a question that went out to a lot of the the freelance one of the broader things we're going to try to track along with how to spell somebody's name to put the three at the end of John Godek, the third um, and things like that is to track um, people's pronunciation of their name. Yeah. Yeah. Because we're doing a lot more online and we want to be able to make sure that people's names are pronounced correctly. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, we're, we're, we're taking that kind of uh, uh, data and information, collecting that to make sure that we can appropriately uh, uh, reflect that in our freelancer pool and make sure that our freelancers are people we know how to say their names. Um, mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a constant iteration of a lot of different things in order to make sure we've got kind of a very robust knowledge of the freelancers that we use because mm-hmm. they're just so, so vital to everything that we do. Yeah. Now do things wind down a little bit here for Pisacon because it seems like everybody's busy with Pisacon. Yeah, we've got it. The work tends to to compress right before PaizoCon, and right before mm-hmm. PaizoCon, very often is some of our very busiest times of the year. Right before PaizoCon, right before GenCon, because on right. top of people preparing for their own travel, the games they're going to run, um, we're trying to get sort of product done and out the door to the next step before PaizoCon. The last couple of PaizoCons have been actually delightfully 
<laughs> easy, kind of straightforward because a lot yeah. of us are attending PaizoCon right. from home. This, this year has been a little more frantic. Um, mm-hmm. Because some people are going to be there in person, and what are we going to do? And and I think they're still. I think I'm still not entirely clear how people who are in person are going to participate in panels that some of us are participating in virtually. Mm. Um, so the tech team is doing an awful lot of work, and the ops team is doing an awful lot of work to sort of put all that together. Um, the uh, they've got some difficulty. I I understand, and it, it was almost easier when they could say, "All right, we assume everybody in the company is going. Let's just get hotel rooms for everybody in the company." Right. And now they can't, now they can't do because they don't know who's going there. After you have to tell us, are you going to be there in mm-hmm. person? Are mm-hmm. you going to be there virtually? And for which days, because of when your panels are and so on. I'm going to be, for example, I've got two panels, one on Friday and one on Sunday, and I'm going to attend both of those virtually, but mm-hmm. in the, so do that from, from home, from this very room. Um, but on Saturday, I'm going to be going to the convention. So I'm going to be in person for part of it and virtual for part of it i'm sort of a living example of hybrid attendance for a con mm-hmm. um so i know i think they're still to the extent things get really busy and kind of quiet right. um it's because we're all focusing on prep for the big conventions that we do yeah i guess the reason why i'm asking this is i figured everyone's really really busy and then they kind of get a little breather right afterwards i'm gonna have some deliverables all my deliverables are due like within two weeks or so after the convention, mm-hmm. right? How soon after the convention are, will be people assigning stuff or is that, will that already be assigned out? Or no, it, it won't happen soon after. And this is, right. this is something that I, that I realized that I had to, I had to acknowledge about my, my peers when I first came to, mm-hmm. to Paizo. I would go to PaizoCon, Gen Con, very energizing, right? I would come right, home right, from right. the convention and be like, now I'm going to do a ton of stuff and I'm going to write yeah. so much more and I'm so excited because as a real outgoing extroverted person, conventions really kind of charge me up. Not everybody's that way. We've got some people that are that are very introverted at Paizo and things like their, and I've come to find out that an extroverted creative person, it kind of puts me in the minority that more mm-hmm. of the creatives that I know are introverts. They find these conventions to be kind of draining and many of them will take a day or two afterward off just to recuperate. Right. I mean, maybe because they got sick. <laughs> we get sick at uh, conventions is uh, with the yeah. con crud is, is distressing frequency. Haven't missed that, but, uh, but they need just some time to, in order to recharge, reassess, uh, kind of build back up to, all right, well, now let me look at my workload. What do I need? Oh, this is what I'm going to need freelancers for so on. So I don't, it, I wouldn't expect anything like a wave of assignments to come out the day after or even within oh, the week after PaizoCon. So right, I, right. I, think I was going to say, you could wait. yeah. So if I waited a couple of weeks, like, so like, like maybe around end of June, early July and said, Hey, I'm available. Might, might that be good timing? Yeah. I I'm don't just think wondering. That, I, I don't, I don't think it's bad timing for sure. Okay. Whether or not it's good timing is going to depend a lot on the personal schedules of the people that you're reaching out to, but it's certainly not bad timing. Yeah, I think I, I think in the past I've gotten I haven't got anything over summer. It's always comes like after Gen Con is when I've gotten this new assignments for for the fall. And I don't know if I so I didn't know if the stuff was being assigned actually between PaizaCon and, and Gen Con. So Yeah, I don't we certainly don't put a hiatus on assigning. Yeah. It's it's going on. People who have a position like I do where I'm doing the adventure paths and I'm only assigning sometimes, right. you know, three to six a year is uh is the minority most people have sort of an ongoing right. need for assignments and the like 
Mm-hmm. Well, I'll have to I'll have to figure on that. Hopefully, I, I get through all this now that I can see. It makes it a whole lot easier to look at the computer <laughs> and look at documents um, and uh, and type words. Yeah, I, I let my developer know I was having some issues, and they said, "Don't worry about it." You know, I, I don't worry about the death. I still got a, my milestones in on time. I I just kind of anal about that, wanting to to do that kind of thing. But I, I was very appreciative of their understanding to to not to not worry about it. So it was good. Yeah, and I've got I've got um, I'm overdue for an assignment that I have, and I was talking to uh, to my developer, the person I'm writing it for, and I told him I'm I'm running I'm running late on this. It's past the turnover date even. I said I am I am going to be able to finish it up before PaizoCon. And his response is, "Well, I'm still I'm doing a lot of prep for PaizoCon, so I want it before PaizoCon. But if it doesn't come in until the day or two before PaizoCon, that's probably going to be fine." And so yeah. I really appreciated that flexibility. And I think part yeah. of it is not just you know being late and and going radio silent. There's a real right. I've seen right. I've noticed a lot of people they just kind of go radio silent when they're worried about being late. When what we'd much rather have is just tell us when it's coming, and then we can adjust around that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think communication. I mean, that's in in life and other things. You know, letting people yeah, know exactly. what's going on. People tend to tend to appreciate that quite a bit. Yep. Well, uh, you know, we've we've hit a, a lot of different stuff here today. Um, <laughs> that's think, typical of us. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was going to say, and you know, we were very topical for a while, and and this has kind of got back to uh, how we got started in the first place, which is kind of an easy flow to fall into. Right, way way back in episodes twenty five through thirty, yes. right in the yes. uh, you know. <laughs> well, I'm John, and I'm Ron, and this is Digital Divination. <laughs> <laughs>